0: We are so blessed, and, and I know you guys know this, I mean, you've been here longer than I have, right? That you don't get the quality of, of leadership and, and music like we do here anywhere else. And so, Matt, we're thankful for that, seriously. It's, it makes partnering with you in worship very easy. Well, church, I am so excited about this morning and the opportunity to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart, Uh, and I hope that through this time you get to know a little bit more about me, and and I want to start off by sharing uh, a testimony of a family member of mine. I have a twin sister who graduated from Covenant College, and she is currently serving on staff at Brainerd Baptist in Chattanooga. And then I have an older sister who is 26, and she is back home in Albany, Georgia, also known as Albany, if you're from there. And she is married to a state trooper with a two-year-old little girl who has currently stolen my parents' attention for the rest of my life. And I'm not bitter about that at all. Uh, In high school, You see, my sister had a very different experience. She wasn't the normal student. She didn't have the normal life that an average middle school or high school student would have. She was a gymnast. And I got to watch her do this her whole life. From the time she was two years old up until she graduated high school, she did gymnastics. She was really, really good at it. She competed at the highest level you can compete. And I saw her go through some tough times. I saw her go through some serious injuries that were very scary. I saw her have great success. Um, She loved it so much so that when she got to high school, we knew that our family had to make a sacrifice. And so we started sending her, I say we, my parents started sending her to Tifton, Georgia, a little over 45 minutes away from Albany, to train five days a week, Monday through Friday, for four hours. So she would leave her classroom at 3.30 or whenever the bell rang. She would hop in a car. She would go to a meeting place where a few other gymnasts were traveling there together. They'd get in the car. They'd drive an hour to Tifton. She'd get out. She'd train for four hours. She would get back in the car, drive another hour back, and by the time she'd get home, it was 10.30. So all of her homework, anything she had to get done was done in the car, and this was Monday through Friday, meaning Saturday was a huge rest day for her, and a day to get ahead of the schoolwork she had to get ahead of, and this was for four years she did this. Four years. Now, the problem with that, and I think she would say the same thing today, especially after talking to her this week, was that not only did my parents have to sacrifice financially for this, not only did they have to sacrifice their time for this, she had to sacrifice normality. She lost a lot in this experience. She didn't have the typical high school experience. Now, she went to prom, and she did the homecoming dance and did all, of this, all of those sorts of things, but after 3.30, there was no hanging out. There was no community there was no relationships with friends that she would leave and go spend the night at the house all the time. She lost her chance to do all of these things because she loved this sport so much. Now, on a, on a girl in high school from 14 to 18 years old, this is very difficult, very difficult. She needs the normality that a high school student needs, and she longed for it. It was her desire but a part of her sacrifice was that that wasn't there, and so she started looking in different areas to be able to feel that satisfaction that wasn't being filled. She was dipping into friendships that maybe she should have been staying away from. She was in relationships with a couple of guys that she probably shouldn't have been dating in high school. But what she was searching for was something she wasn't gaining because of her time spent in gymnastics. She was searching for attention. She was searching for friends, for a community for something to fill that void that was currently there inside of her. And so I remember watching her live her life and then hearing her and my parents have discussions about some of the decisions she was making with her discernment and and how she was sometimes in the wrong and making poor decisions and she was being affected by this. Well, she graduated high school and officially hung up her gymnastics career. She had a few injuries that were so bad that she ended up having to deny a scholarship to a college, and that was her dream. I mean, she did everything she did so that she could she could collegiately compete um, with gymnastics. And so she put that away. And thank God that we grew up in the school that we grew up. We grew up in a private Christian school, and I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. They offered international mission trips every year something that um, kids in high school age, uh, honestly across the world, have zero opportunity to be able to go and see a different culture and be exposed to the rest of the world. And so, a trip to Uganda, Africa was proposed to the student body. And they had a few spots open, and so they sent out a letter to all the alumni of the high school saying, hey, why don't you join us, pray about this. And so my sister saw this, and she got so excited, because for the first time in her life, she was not bound to any type of strict schedule. She had the freedom to make the decision to go do something that was different and not her normal, right? And so she, she takes this opportunity to go to Uganda, and man, you talk about a life-changing experience. That picture brings back so much emotion for me because she came home from this two week trip and I remember like it was yesterday. It was I was sitting beside my twin sister, she was sitting on the other side of the table and my parents were at the head, each side of the table and it's quiet, right? And it's like the awkward quiet to where the 13-year-old boy and me was like playing with the food and kind of like checking things out. And my mom decided to break the silence because she's bold like that and goes, "How about you tell us about your experience?" And my sister took the fork and slammed it on the table and broke down in tears, bawling. And I'm sitting here thinking like, "Are you kidding me? You're crying? Like it, it was that bad? You went to, you skipped 2 weeks of school. You know why are you crying?" And she can't even formulate her words. Her experience changed her so much that all she could think about was the guilt and shame that was sitting inside of her, sitting at a dinner table with a full meal, unlimited amounts of water, a family, after she had just left kids that have no shoes, that have no clue when food is coming, that have no any, any sort of type of example of, of, of godly parents like we grew up with. Many of whom are fathers that are never present in their life whatsoever that leave them battling the cultural battles of witch doctors and battling the cultural battles of all of these rebellions within the country itself. And their kids that are ten years old that are trained to be wars or warriors on behalf of their tribe. I mean, they're experiencing things that Caitlin, my older sister, had never seen in her life, and so she's sharing her heart about this, right? And my parents, you know, we asked how do we handle this before she came home, so they were told to do exactly what they did. They sat and listened, right? And they would only speak when they felt like they needed to speak, but they just let her talk about her heart. And then the last thing my sister said was she put her fork down again because she was sitting there banging that thing the whole time. She was so mad. She put it down, and she stood up and she said, you know what? I'm gonna move over there. And my parents said, sure, let me go pack your bag. You can go, you know, that's not what happened at all. My mom looked at my dad like any other mother would do and be like, all right, your turn, time to pick this one up, you know, see so take this. And they're like, hold on now, Caitlin, like we understand your heart, we understand your desire, but you can't just say something like that, right? And tell so much. How about you take some time and you pray about this? Well, the next year, my, sister, my twin sister and I were able to go to Uganda with her for another two-week trip, and we came back, and Caitlin Landon said, Mom, it's, it's, it's for real. It's a real deal Call The Lord is calling me to go to Uganda. And so, my sister, after another six months, took off to Uganda to live for seven months, and what she did there was well, she worked in a childcare center, she mentored girls, discipled girls. She led chapel services. She served at the headquarters of the missions organization. And let me tell you something, the life that she had before the Lord grabbed her heart, not just for the people of Uganda, but for the sake of the gospel, changed her so much that she is a different person today. Pursue. I mean, listen, let's be real. She didn't really do the school thing. She hated school. She's about to finish her grad degree in biblical counseling. She's answering a call because the Lord called her to somewhere that is way more uncomfortable than the life she had here in the United States. And I'm so thankful for that because to me, growing up and watching her experience this, I got to see transformation firsthand. It's a powerful thing. Transformation shakes your world upside down and flips it around, and you have no clue where you are, but you do know one thing, is that God is good and God is God, and the transformation that takes place in this time is for your better, regardless of how hard and the suffering that comes along with that time. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, we have to pray with our eyes on God, not on our difficulties. So, when Caitlin was praying about this, she wasn't worried about the fact that she wouldn't know where food was coming from. She wasn't worried about the fact that there was, I mean, zero security on the compound that she stayed in the middle of a village. She wasn't worried about the, the idea of malaria or all these different weird bugs in Uganda, Right? She dismissed all of that. Why? Because she knew that she had to keep her eyes on the Lord. Church, this is is the point of what I'm trying to say. I've seen transformation, and the power of transformation, salvation, is unfathomable. But transformation isn't always comfortable. It's not. So this is my prayer for us this morning. As we dive into the text, I don't pray for us to sit comfortable in our seats. I don't pray for us to walk out feeling better about ourselves. What I pray is that God would transform you and reveal truth in a new way so that you don't walk out comfortable, but you walked out refreshed, that you walked out challenged to live the lifestyle that he's called you to live. So before we dive in, would you just join me in praying for a second? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this church. God, we thank you for your power and your sovereign hand. Lord, we thank you for transformation. God, that's a miracle that we will never understand. The idea that you bring death to life. The idea that you change someone so much that they get to be the person they were originally created to be. Somebody that will one day stand in your presence, God, and we don't open your word hoping and praying that that would happen, God. We open your word knowing that through your power you can accomplish that goal. God, you are so good to us, and I pray right now that your spirit would fill this room, that you would speak through me and through your word, Lord, that you would offer grace and mercy and love in the areas that need it the most in the lives of those who are in this room today. It is in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Men, Church, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, and we're going to start in chapter two. So if you want to go ahead and open up, you can, and we're going to jump through so much, and I just ask that you hang on with me. Exodus chapter two, we're going to start reading in verse 11, and it says this, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Did you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Many of us are familiar with the passage and the story of Moses. He ended up in Egypt out of a desire of protection from his mother because the, the king and the ruler of that time declared that all the firstborn sons be killed. And so he was saved, he was picked up by an Egyptian woman, and now he is a prince of Egypt. And when we look at this passage, the first thing that I want to notice right here is, number one, this is our first point. I want you to acknowledge the need. The need is this. Moses, just like us, was an imperfect man. He made an awful mistake. He killed an Egyptian. He killed somebody. He he is therefore a murderer he's awful and he made a terrible mistake, but I don't want to focus on that just yet. What I want to focus on is that I want to show you why he made the mistake and what that was rooted in. If we look in verse 11, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Let's stop right there for a second. He left a seat of authority. He left a seat of comfort. And he walked down among the people who were considered the outcasts, the slaves, the dirty people, the people that have no contact with those of a a ruling family. And he looked upon their burdens. Here's my question for us as we start off. How often do we stop what we're doing in the midst of our interests and honestly our selfish desires to look at the needs that need to be met across our community? How often do we step down from our busy schedules to press pause and to look around and go, "All right, Lord, what need can I meet today? What burdens are in front of us today? You see, Moses recognized something in that culture. He recognized that there was a need. He recognized that the culture was promoting slavery, that slavery amongst his own people group, the Hebrews, was causing an ideal point of suffering, and that he recognized that there was pain in the midst of this. And so what did he do? He went down to the people, and he met them where they're at. They didn't come to him and complain. He went to them. Moses dropped everything and went to them and looked upon their burdens, in verse 23 through 25 of chapter 2, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. It continues and says, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I mean, we had a terrible situation going on in the land of Egypt. But through all of that, through all the suffering and pain, God listened. Through all the suffering and pain, God is sovereign. He heard. I love that part, and God heard their groaning. We, we, we serve a caring and compassionate God. I don't know if y'all knew that this morning, but we, we serve a God that listens, because the reality of this room is that there's nobody in here that has never suffered. There's nobody in here that has never felt pain. There's nobody in here that has never felt loss. But praise God that we serve a God who listens, who knows, who is caring and compassion. compassionate. Amen? Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. We're going to dive in and we're going to read this whole passage and chew it like it's a good steak. All right? Hang on. Here we go. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. "'The priest of Midian, and he led his flock "'to the west side of the wilderness "'and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. "'And the angel of the Lord appeared to him "'in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. "'He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, "'yet it was not consumed.' And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to, to see, God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Can we stop right there? I feel like sometimes we read passages, you know, and we just read them, and it's like normal to us because we've heard it. When God called Moses, Moses, out of a burning bush, the response of, of Moses at the time was, oh yeah, what's up, bush? Bush. Here I am. Okay, this is weird. Moses is talking to a burning bush. Hello? This is crazy. You, I, we read this and skim over it all the time. And he continued, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Yeah. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmakers, I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I practiced that for y'all, by the way. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you may bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. If I heard all of that from a burning bush, your boy would be running, okay? But I want you to notice something here. First, we saw that Moses recognized the need. The second thing is, we have to acknowledge here that there's a call. There's a call. That's point number two. This is something that I feel like we as believers are intimidated by. We understand what God did for us. We understand that Jesus died on the cross for us. But what we hesitate to give an eye to is the fact that he's calling us to meet the need. That he's calling us to leave the very thing that we have settled in, the comfort that we've settled in in order to meet the need. The call upon our lives as believers is to what? go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you. This past Wednesday night, our students learned that go, therefore, and teach are all rooted in the same word as disciple. He's calling us to go and take the news of freedom to people. And sometimes it has to do with sacrifice. Sometimes sacrifice is needed, and we're going to hit on that in just a minute, and we'll talk about that. But sometimes us as believers believe a lie that this culture is pushing us to believe, and this is the lie, that you're not capable. That as a 15, 16, 17-year-old, you are not capable at fulfilling the call that God has placed upon your life. As a 55 year old, you're not capable. As an 80 year old, you're not capable. As a 26 year old, you're not capable. Why? Because they want you to believe that you're not able, that you're not worth it, that you're not gifted, you have zero talent, you aren't established enough in your old life, and maybe you, because of those things, don't need to answer the call. That is a lie. God is not talking to a man who's famous in the Bible, God is talking to a murderer talking to a scaredy cat, the man ran from the nation of which he was ruling over out of a fear. He knows who Moses is, and he's still calling them, calling him to meet the need and to set his people free. Exodus chapter four, verse one, we see Moses' response. Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Number three, we need to acknowledge is that after we acknowledge the need and after we hear the call, that there will be temptation. There will be temptation to believe that we are not worthy enough to fulfill that call. What's crazy is Moses was more convinced of who he thought he was than what his creator said he was. The one who created him, the one who knows all things, the one who is sovereign, the one who hears the groanings and sufferings of all the people, the one who literally put everything in him and instilled everything, Moses still believes the lie that he's not worthy enough, is more true than what his creator says. But here's the truth, church. He deems us useful, he makes us useful. He desires to use us. The sole fact that you can believe that you aren't good enough is a lie because that's not what God's love for you is based on. It's not based on your talents. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on who you are. It's not based on what you can do. What it's based on is that he deems you useful and he cherishes you. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Some of us need to walk out of this door and know that, hey, God is calling you to meet the need of people around us as believers, and it doesn't matter who you are, he's going to be able to do everything through you. And we even see more of Moses' struggle in continuing in chapter 4, starting in verse 3, and he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, Moses ran for it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Hold up, okay? (laughs) My man's stick became a snake. And he was like, whoa, God, I get it, Your God. And then God asked him to grab the snake. I'm just saying, God's gonna call us to do some things we don't really wanna do, all right? And he continues, that they may believe that the Lord, their God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. And God continues to show him signs. And it says, listen, listen to me because they will listen to you if you obey me. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who made you? Who created you? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll be with your mouth and I'll teach you what you shall speak. And Moses still believing the lie and the temptation please send someone else. But praise God that he's sovereign. Because even in the midst of his temptation, God still was able to reveal truth. And we see in verse 20 that Moses submitted to the Lord's will. It says, so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Point number four, the sacrifice. Yes, we have a temptation when we confront our call, but we also have to make sacrifices sometimes. Moses picked up everything that he loved so dearly and took them out of a state of comfort, of a very steady job, of a very steady meal in front of their face where they could raise kids and they could roam free in the fields and say, we're going to go to the land of Egypt, the place where they wanted me dead, the place where people are suffering, and we're going to meet the need that God has called us to meet. He isn't calling us to live a life worthy of success, church. He doesn't call the most equipped, the most talented, or the one with most stability. Salvation is here for all, and he desires to use you as his method for sharing that news. And when you answer that call, sacrifice is a part of that call. This is the life that we claim to have a desire to live. And then my favorite part of this whole message, number five, is the result when we surrender our life to following Jesus and living a life committed to the Lord, that is when the supernatural happens. It's when the supernatural happens. I'm not talking about this voodoo. I'm not talking about Harry Potter supernatural. No, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the impossible being made possible. That's what happens when we submit to the call that the Lord has called upon our lives. Submission enables the supernatural. Let's take a quick glance at the rest of the story. Exodus 7, the Nile River turns to blood. Exodus 8, we see the plagues of the frogs, gnats, and flies. In Exodus 9, we see the death of livestock, the plague of boils. We see a hellstorm. Exodus 10, we see the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness. Exodus 12, we see the death of a firstborn. All of these things that are unnatural to the scenarios of Egypt are happening. And it's all because God is using Moses to show Pharaoh that he is truly God. And God equipped Moses in that time in order to fulfill his calling in the land of Egypt. He equipped Moses. And you know what's even better than that is in Exodus 14, we see the coolest miracle of all that I think. We see the splitting of the Red Sea and they walked on dry land and praised God for freedom. But you know what's even better than that? That's a story that happened a long time ago, but it's a story that teaches us something that is amazing. The impossible is made possible, and as a result of Moses' obedience, he was used by God to set the people free, but what's crazier is that Moses isn't necessarily the one that we should always be mirroring our life after, right? We see a great example of Moses in surrendering his life, but what's even better is that he is just the lesser version of God's Son, the one who truly submitted his life to the Father's plan. His life full of hardship, pain, and discomfort is the life we should desire believers to follow. You see, when Jesus committed and acknowledged the need for the world to be rescued as a result of our enslavement to sin, he came willing, believing, And knowing that God would use him to do the supernatural, the impossible, which was to set us free from sin that resulted in death. The supernatural, the impossible that was made possible because Jesus willingly submitted his life to Christ. Not only do you live in freedom as a result of his love and commitment to you by following God's will, but you have been given the same spirit that Christ had when he walked on earth. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? If Jesus did what he did on earth and you have the same spirit, can you imagine the faith that we could have in God and what he could do through us if we just submitted church? Needs across this community would be met. The world could be changed. So, here's my challenge to you, First Baptist Church of Decatur. Go Go, make disciples, spread the love of God, give them something that fulfills the satisfaction that the lost are looking for. Because everything in this world is temporary, but praise God that we have what's permanent. That's his saving grace and his love. Look upon the needs of your family. Look upon the needs of your friends, your city, your country, your world. Do what God has called you to do. At this time, Matt and the rest of the group is going to come on. We're going to sing a song and worship, but I want to challenge you with this. To those who have maybe never understood the need for Jesus, there's not a better day, because let me tell you something. Just as the Hebrew people were enslaved to the country of Egypt, so are we enslaved to sin. It's what separated us from God in the beginning, but then He sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that that sin can be defeated and death is no more and you can live the life that you originally intended to live and you were created to live in his presence, free of pain, free of disease, free of cancer, free of i mean suffering, free of divorce, free of all the things that are a result of sin, you can live free from and that's the freedom that was made possible out of the impossible because of Jesus' submission to the Lord. So here's my challenge. Look for the need. Look for a need. When you leave today, look for a need. Meet the need. Share the good news of God's great mercy in the midst of that need. And then as a church, can we just live in freedom? Can we live knowing that what God did by sending his son is true in us today and that others would see that freedom in us? that God can truly shake this town, this country, and this world upside down solely by using people who aren't equipped, but solely by calling upon people who He will equip for His work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much. God, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You that we can see the grace and the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. So Lord, I pray right now in this room, God, if there's anybody that has been hesitant to following your will, if there's anybody that has been hesitant to going and sharing the good news of the gospel, to going and make disciples, Lord, to going and dropping their stuff that keeps them busy so that they can look upon the needs of others, God, I pray that you would convict them first and foremost, but God, that you would equip them to do so. God, if we've truly experienced your salvation, if we've truly experienced your grace, God, we can't keep that to ourselves. Let us not rest in that selfishness, but let us go. Hold hands, stand side by side with those that are hurting, that are in pain and suffering, and offer them the freedom that you have offered us. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.